Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Hey, million dollar question, you're here. This is week two of a series. If you were not here, oh, let's do this way. How many of you were not here last week? Raise your hand, raise your hand. You're not here. Where were we all at? What happened? Was there an event going on with something? You're here today. That's all that matters. And so um, what I'd love for you to do is go catch up. Go, go watch online last week's message. You can go get a free copy in the back. And so you are here, though. Everyone's here for week two of our series called Million Dollar Question. We're simply looking at this idea. It's a weird kind of thought. But in the Bible, God ask people lots of questions, which is weird in thought because why would an all-knowing God, an all-knowing being in the universe ever ask a question, right? I mean, it wouldn't make sense. It's not that he doesn't know something. And so he's not asking a question because he lacks information. He's actually asking a question because you lack perspective or the person he's asking. And so questions are powerful. And God uses questions all throughout the Bible to get people, just to open up their mind, open up their heart, to come to a new realization. And so last week we looked at this story through the book of Jonah, where he just asked Jonah the question, do you have a right to be angry? And it was, it was fascinating. Why would you ask, do you have a right? To, well, I don't know. I mean, do I have a right? Yeah. And his answer was yes. And it turned out to be no, he did not have a right to be angry in that instance. And so, I mean, sometimes you do. But not in that one. And so today, though, we look at a brand new question. And we look at a, at a guy. And if you have your Bible, you can kind of turn there. It's Genesis chapter 32, if you're reading along. And in Genesis chapter 32, we'll look at a story about a guy who just needs to experience life change. Now, have you ever been there before? Have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, wow, I really need to change? You ever thought about what brought you to that experience? Like, usually you hit rock bottom. Usually it was like, like when you kicked the dog, that was, a, oh, that's, now I know, I've got anger issues. Or, you know, you, you got, now I know, you know, when, 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 when he left or when she left or when the bank account emptied and the, the check bounced for the hundredth time, I was like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. When, well, hey, I, I, I'll tell you mine, but I don't want to say the detail. I remember like being in a home with a certain group of people doing certain, and I'm like, oh, dear God, I've gone too far. Have you ever had that feeling? I've gone too far. I need to change. And something's got to give. And something, something just, I need something different than what I'm currently experiencing. Well, the guy we look at today, his name is Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. And so, for, that was very weak. No, you can't, you can't, you can't jump in now. It's too, you can't save it. Cause like, like a quarter of y'all did it. And then like, a, no, no, we got to do it together. It's not worth it. Okay. Everybody say Jacob. There you go. Now, now it's overwhelming. And so let's find a medium here, people. And so Jacob is this guy who lives a life making mistake after mistake. He has a hard luck life. You know what I mean? It just seems like he's always doing the wrong thing. And when he tries to even do the right thing, sometimes things backfire on him. And he's got that kind of hard luck vibe to him. Now, Jacob is, is if you don't know the, the history of the Bible, you have these patriarch people in the book of Genesis. You have Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So Abraham is kind of the father of our faith and the Jewish faith. And then he had a kid named Isaac. And then Isaac had twins and their names were Jacob and Esau. And it says even that in the womb, there fighting. They don't get along. And, and, and even as kids, they don't get along. One of them's, you know, kind of a, he's kind of a mama's boy. And the other one's kind of an outdoorsy, woodsy guy. And they just, they don't see eye to eye. They're twins, but they're very different. And they fight and they argue. And, and, and one of the things that Jacob had picked up on, and we think he learned this from his mom, is he learned how to manipulate <laughs> He was a liar. Um, he was a deceiver. He was a manipulator. And the big story of Jacob and Esau is that Jacob 
lies and deceives his, uh, his father and tricks his father into giving him the family birthright, which should have gone to Esau, because although they were twins, Esau came out first. So this family birthright, which is so important, should have gone to Esau, but it didn't. And, and the blessing of the family should have gone to Esau, but it didn't. And Jacob swindles the whole thing. Well, how many know when you're hunter brother? Okay, there's certain people you don't want to make mad in life, right? Um, the hunter brother is the one, right? The one who kills things for a living, That's the one you don't make mad in life. And he made that guy mad. And so what do you do when you make the hunter brother mad is you have to run. And and so he literally flees, goes to a different country, runs away. He does a number of different... He kind of lives a life, though, of of deceit, of manipulation. Now, finally, he hits kind of rock bottom. He determines that he's ready to go back home. He's not sure how his hunter brother, who kills things for a living, is going to respond to, to seeing him again. And this is where we find this fascinating story. Genesis chapter 32. You ready? Let's read along. So he arose that night, Jacob, and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons. Man, that's a lot of big family. I don't recommend that. Um, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Now, if you really know what's going on here, this is what, this is what he's doing. And it's still shady. Okay, imagine you think your brother might kill you. Then if I send them, I'll send the, the, the wife I really don't like. I'll send her out first. <laughs> and the crazy kids from her, I'm going to send them out next. And then I'm going to send out the family I kind of like. And then I'll send out my herds. My, and he literally, it's crazy, he sends out everybody first. Because he thinks if, if Esau's mad and starts you know, going off on people, then, then I'll see it up ahead. And then I'll take off and keep going into to running mode. And so anyway, that's literally what he did. He sends over everybody else first just to get a feeler to see how mad Esau, if he even still is mad at all. That's really what he did there. So he took them, he sent them over the brook, and he sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left Alone. Now, this is where the story just gets weird. And a man, capital M-A-N, do you notice that? The reason why they wrote that is because in, in the Hebrew language, they would have been drawing on something significant here, that this was not just a man, but when it's capitalized, they truly believe, based on the writing and the story, that this was God. And so, a man wrestled with Jacob, is what the Bible said, until the breaking of the day. So literally, he's alone, and WWE breaks out. He's alone, and a guy shows up with some level of divinity, and they turn into a wrestling match. I just want you to know the story for what it is. It's crazy. Now, when he saw the capital he, the, the, what's referred to later as the angel of the Lord, what some people even believe was Jesus. Does that make sense? Like they believe that like, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always been around. That's not new. That when God needed to show up on earth in a bodily form, what would have made the most sense to show up as? Yeah, so some people believe that. And so anyway, so when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip, which is a really nice way for saying he punched him really hard because it would take a hard punch to knock out your hip. Anyway, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Which paints a really odd picture of Jesus because normally Jesus is wearing Birkenstocks and a robe and praying for children. And in this instance, he's wrestling with someone. And then when he realizes, I got to just go ahead and wrap this up because the day's breaking, he punches Jacob's hip until it dislocates, 
which is interesting to think about because sometimes you experience painful things in life and you don't know whether it was God or the devil or what's going on, but you may want to embrace this thought that sometimes God is willing to dislocate things from your life if it will make you surrender because your surrender to him would be the ultimate goal. And your surrendering to him would be better than you holding on to the thing that you, it just, that's, let's keep going. So he, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, the divinity, the divine one, the angel of the Lord, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And that's the million dollar question right there. So imagine this weird, crazy story. Jacob is this dysfunctional deceiver, manipulator, kind of a shady character. He's lied, manipulated several people in his life. And he comes to a point where he's trying to change. He's trying to go back home. He's trying to do what's right by God even. And he has this moment where he literally wrestles with God, which is fascinating to think because sometimes you're like that. Sometimes you have things in your life that you don't want to give up on. And you, I know you have this sense of you, some of you have this feeling of I'm constantly wrestling with this issue in my life or God is trying to wrestle this thing out of me and sometimes I'm just unwilling to break or to bend or to surrender. And so God dislocates his hip. And, but but the, the fascinating thing is that Jacob just doesn't quit. He doesn't even give up. He says, no, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Meaning I want you to do something in my life. I need you to change me. I need you to help me. And the million dollar question shows up and the million dollar question is kind of odd. It's what is your name. Now, do you really believe that God did not know what his name was? No, I mean, not really. Isn't that the worst though? Isn't it worse when you're like, you, you know, you've met somebody, but you can't remember their name. Or what's worse is if you do this in social environments, if you meet someone, you're like, hey, how you doing? My name's and 30 seconds later, does anybody else do that in here? It's the worst. You feel like a terrible human being. As a pastor, you just feel like a terrible pastor. And so, but, but, it's not that God was like, what, it's, what is it? Is it James? Is it Jimmy? What is it? Jacob. It's not that God didn't know his name and the way that they thought of names was very different than the way we thought of names. Like, for instance, in the Bible, you'll constantly see people naming their kids not at random. Like, my, my son, he's not in here. I can say anything and not embarrass him. My son's name is Peyton. And, and everybody, you know, thinks, oh, you, you named him after Peyton Manning, which is, I guess, the most famous Peyton that the world has ever known. I, I, as far as I know, yeah, I don't think there's any other Peytons. And, and everybody's like, oh, you named it after Peyton. And, and I'm like, no, my wife named him, and she has no idea. She doesn't watch football, and she didn't know who Peyton Manning was and none of that stuff. But that's, that's how most people kind of think about names. And so what was funny was is just recently there was this whole thing in Indiana. There was this incredible spike in boys named Peyton, because of the popularity of that quarterback in the state of Indiana. So, so anyway, we kind of name people because, like, there's trends in naming. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but like, names will get hot, names will get popular. People's names um, that 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 are famous or whatever, and all of a sudden these names will spike. And so we we clearly name people based on what we just think is kind of cool at the time. They were not like that so much. They had names based on significance. And so many times in the Bible, they named you based on the circumstances of which you were born. Does that make sense? Like number of times, like one of them is even Isaac. We talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So like because of the incredible joy that the mother was experiencing, she named him Isaac, and Isaac just means laughter. 
Another one is, is like, for instance, like uh, it, sometimes it wasn't named just based on your circumstances that you were born in. Sometimes it was based on your characteristic of who you were. So the name Ruth means friend, which she obviously has one of the model friendships in the Bible between her and Naomi. And so, so anyway, people were named based on the circumstances they were born in, the character traits they resemble, or sometimes just what the parent wanted their kid to be like. So like Esau, do you know what his name meant? It was Harry. But when he's described in scripture, he's hairy. That's why when Jacob has to like dress up like his brother, he literally puts like fake animal hair on his arm so that when dad who is blind has to touch him, is like, oh yeah, that's Esau, he's a hairy kid. So, but here's the fascinating thing is Jacob's name means deceiver. That's what his name means. He's the shady one. And that's what his life was like. And so you, you just got to see this picture of what is God doing when he asked the question, what is your name? Here's what I really think is going on here based on the context and based on what God says next. Is when he says, what is your name? What he's really saying is this. Do you always want to be who you've always been? Do you always want to be what they said you were? Do you always just want to be the way you are right now, or would you like to be somebody new? Would you rather like to be what I say that you are? And that's what this story is all about. It's about a man who had always been what they said he was. And he had even believed in himself. That's just who I am. That's the way it is. That's the, that's the kind of my nature. That's my character. That's what I do. That's how I roll. That's just who I am. Have you ever said those? Don't raise your hand. Have you ever said those words before? Like you've got an issue in your life. You've got something and you say, hey, that's just the way that I am. That's just the way that I've always been in life. That's just, that's just, yeah, that's what they said about me. And it's just kind of true. But let me ask you the question that God's asking you today. The million dollar question. Do you always want to be what you have always been? And do you always want to be what they said you were? Or would you rather be someone new? Would you rather be what I think you are? It's, it's, this is a penetrating question. And then here, here's what's crazy is that Jacob owns up to it. This is, this is kind of the beauty of the story. Because he goes, when, what is your name? He says, I'm, I'm Jacob. What he was literally saying is, is no, you, you're right. I am who they said I was. That's who I am. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I am what they thought that I was. I, I said this thought to you because this is, this is one of the, the triggers to the whole story. Because if he says something different, I don't know where the story goes. But he owns it and he confesses it. And he kind of just, just, just lives up to and says, no, that's what I really am. And I want you to just kind of take this thought. Is that change begins at the moment of confession. There's something powerful about this thing called confession. And I'm not talking about you going into a box, dumping out all your guilt from the weekend, and then jumping out and feeling better about yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you coming to the realization that you actually have some issues that need to be dealt with, that you have some things that need to change. Does that make sense? Because here's the problem. When you don't confess what your issues really are, you don't own what really is bothering you or eating you up or owning you and controlling you. When you don't, you, you only have a few options. So like When you have a real issue in your life that needs to change, if you don't confess it, you, you got, these are your options. You can blame, you can justify, or you can ignore. Are you with me so far? Think about what else you got. 
Like, like some of you do. Let's, let's take anger if I threw that out there earlier. If you got an anger issue, you can blame somebody else, you can justify it, or you can just ignore it. And here's what that would look like. Well, well I, you know, I'm not angry, I'm just intense. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. That sounds better, but no, you got anger issues. That's why you yell and hit things and hit the door and hit people and kick the dog and scream and cussy. You got anger issues. But you can justify it by saying it's, it's intensity, but it's anger is what it really is. Until you come to the point of confession saying, no, this is who I really am. And God, I need you to change me. I'm telling you, you're not going to break free. You're going to live in that system, live controlled by your anger. Here's another way, like, well, I'm only angry because you made me angry. Oh. Here's another, I'm, I'm angry, and that's just the way I've always been. That's just who I am. I'm angry, my dad was angry, my grandfather was angry. I bet my great-grandfather's angry. I just come from an angry people. I'm from this culture, I'm from this ethnicity. We're just known for being angry people. I don't want to dime you out, but you know. Or you just ignore it, be like, I'm not angry. I don't have anger issues. I don't know what you're talking about, I'm not angry. You know, you're angry, you're tripping. But I'm telling you, this is the beauty of confession. And change begins at the moment of confession. Listen, if you don't believe me, think about how salvation takes place. Like this is what Paul said. Paul said that when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you shall be saved. So even the moment of salvation comes at the point of what? And it's funny the way he words it because he doesn't say believe in your heart first. He says, no, confess with your mouth, then believe in your heart. So it happens at the moment of confession, James, or John said it like this. He said, it said, if you will confess your sins, then Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Old Testament says it like this, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? Mercy. So like God's all about this idea of confession. And it's not this point where he's like, I told you so. That's not what it is. It's you coming to the grips of, no, I actually have something in my heart that doesn't belong there. And I have something in my heart that hurts other people. And I have something in my heart that blocks me and separates me from my relationship with God. And if I don't deal with that, I never get to become who God says that I am. And so it all happens in this moment where Jacob just confesses and says, yeah, I, I, that's me. I am. I have a problem. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I am who they said I am. And then this is the beauty of God's grace is that now God comes in and go, let's go to the next verse here in, in the story is he actually comes in and just changes his name. And he says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. We're going to do away with that. Now that you owned it, confessed it, I'm going to do something amazing in you. Now your name is Israel for you have struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Like this is the beauty of the story, is that God just says, okay, good, confess, we're done then. Let's change you, let's heal you, let's get you moving in an upward trajectory, let's get you moving forward in your relationship with God, and I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna begin it all by giving you this brand new name, this name Israel, which literally is the combination of two Hebrew words, and it ends up meaning he who prevails victoriously with God. He who prevails victoriously with God. Now, how many of you want to be that in life versus I'm the liar? You know? And that's where Jacob is breaking free from this idea and breaking free from who he's always been. But I'm telling you, it starts at the moment of confession. It starts when he owns it all. Because we do this in life. We, we just go back to who we've always been. And we make excuses. We either blame, justify, or excuse. We do something. So for some of us, it's like, well, no, I don't have a gambling issue. I just, I just really like to play the cards. I mean, y'all, that, that hit a nerve. 
I had a buddy of mine who had this. I'm like, bro, man, you're, you're at the casino a lot. And he goes, no, no, man, I just, I just really enjoy playing the cards, man. I just really, no, no, you have an issue. And it's based on the amount of time put in, the amount of money lost. And when you've part, man, take a break. I had this conversation with someone not too long ago. It was a husband and a wife combination. And she was upset with the amount of alcohol that he would drink. And he said, no, I don't have an issue. I said, okay, well, how much do you drink and how often? Well, it's, 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 and then they, I'm like, holy crap, that's a lie. You have an incredible tolerance and you're a skinny guy. And so that's impre- almost impressive. And so, but, but at some point, like that's, that, that's too much. And he goes, well, I just do it to take the edge off. I just do it because my work is so stressful. And so I told him, I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Number one is this. We're going to go 21 days, no alcohol. Just to see. Let's just really see where it is because there's no reason you should have to drink that much to take an edge off. Because listen to me, if alcohol is the only thing in your life that can help you take the edge off, you have an issue. If you can't come to Jesus and have something else in your life bring you peace, then you are controlled by something beyond yourself and it ain't God. So at some point you have to say like, like I have this thing. Like, like I talk to dudes about like pornography, but like, well, I'm, 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 I'm a guy. I'm just, I'm just a guy. I, mean, I, have, I, I I'm a guy. I get that, dude. Like, okay, you're a guy. Great. Thanks. But porn is destroying your brain. Literally the cells in your brain and the way that pornography begins to affect who you are. But, but I'm a guy. What? Shut up. You're a guy who's bound by sin and it's destroying you from the inside out and it's corrupting your relationships. I, I don't, are you hearing me? At some point in life, you gotta own it for what it is and stop blaming, justifying, or ignoring it. And when you do that, the power of confession, I'm just telling you, that's where change begins. It all happens at that moment. And when that happens and you allow God to come in, then he does something incredibly radical. He just wipes it away and begins this process of renewing you and changing you and sanctifying you. And he gives you a new name. Three quick thoughts on this whole new name idea. Number one is this, is that a new name represents a changed life. All throughout the Bible, you see this idea of God renaming people, and it seems kind of strange. We, 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 it wouldn't make sense to us in our culture because of the way we see names, but to them, your name had incredible significance. And so all throughout the Bible, like for instance, there's this one guy named Abram, and he's, his name literally means father, but he has no kids. And God shows up and says, hey, I'm actually going to make you the father of a nation, and through your seed, the entire world will be blessed. As a matter of fact, I want you to go outside, and I want you to look at the stars. Can you count them? No, I don't want to try. Nope. And God said, and God said, so will your seed be, like the stars in the heavens. And he said, well, you look at the sand on the shore, like so will your seed be. So like your, your family, and he's like, but God, uh, newsflash here, I have zero children and my wife is really old. <laughs> so God, God doesn't fix her and him in the situation, he just changes his name. He goes, now I'm going to, you know what, forget Abram, father, I'm going to mess with you. Now I'm going to name you Abraham, which means father of nations. And now every time you think of your name, you're going to think of the promise that I put over your life. And every time somebody calls, hey, Abraham, every time somebody calls your name, you're going to think of the promise that's come over your life. And all I want you to do is focus on the fact that I am with you and I have a promise put over your life. And that's all I want you to think about from this day forward. And of course, years later, there's a miracle birth and Isaac is born. And then the, the nation of Israel, who which comes Jesus, the whole earth. 
Are you hearing me? Sometimes you just need to hear it, and sometimes you need to believe it, and sometimes you need it just ringing in your ears to know I'm not who I used to be. I'm somebody completely different. I'm somebody that God has put a promise over their life. Peter's the same way. Like, Pete, that's not his name. His name is Simon, and God changes his name. He goes, no longer will I call you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. And guess what? On the revelation that God's given you, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm telling you, I'm going to change your future. I'm going to change your identity. I'm going to change who you are. Everything will be different. Saul, the same way. The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, his name wasn't Paul. God does this a lot. His name was Saul, which means it was a kingly name. It was the first king of the nation of Israel. You know what Paul means? Little. Because Saul was arrogant and too big in his own eyes. And he goes, I'm going to change you from now on. You will see yourself humbled underneath the greatness of God. And through that humility, you will change the world. Because there's a promise over your life. You're not who you used to be. And you're not who they said you were. Something powerful is going on. Number two is this. is not only does a name represent a changed life, but a name represents a new identity. Meaning like the way that I see myself, the who, who I identify myself with. As a matter of fact, I do this with people, and um, I think somebody just shared this at our women's Bible study. There are certain people in life who, because of the way that they see themselves, they constantly live out who they always thought that they were. And so I literally made a document of all these different names that the New Testament gives to the person who follows Jesus, to the person who's put their faith in Jesus. And there's these crazy new names or new titles that are given to you. Stuff like this, redeemed, forgiven, overcomer justified, more than a conqueror, in Christ Jesus, loved, new creation, child of God, heir of God, on and on and on. And you know why this stuff is written? To rewire your mind to say you're not who you used to be. This is why the apostle Paul said it like this. He goes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things have become what? New. You are not who they said you were, and you are not who you thought you were. You can be who God has said you are. And you step into something completely new because you don't, because here's the thing. Some of us, we've got these words spoken over our life back from when we were just wee little tots. And we've had people call us dumb or ugly or fat or stupid or not good enough or you'll never never measure up and you're never going to graduate high school and you're never going to, and you you get these labels and you get these titles and then all of a sudden they kind of get rooted down deep in your soul. And they bother you. They hang on to you. They kind of get attached to who you are. And God's saying, I want to give you a new name. Because you're not who they said you are. And you don't have to be that anymore. There are two types of people in life. I want you to think about this. Is, is sometimes there are people, and I don't want you to be like this for a set of people. But it's people who let what they do determine what they are. So some of you go out in life and you do something wrong, you do something foolish, you do something sinful, and then you revert it back to your identity and say, that's just who I am, that's me, that's who I am. I had this with my kid one time. My kid was doing something and I got onto him and corrected him about it. He goes, I'm sorry, I'm just a bad kid. Well, I don't let that hang. I'm not down with that. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not gonna say that. You're not a bad kid. You're actually a great kid who just did something dumb. But that can be forgiven, but that's not who you are. Do you see the difference? But some people go out and do something foolish, do something sinful, and all of a sudden you just self-identify with that. But here's where victory is. It's people who let who they are determine what they do. Because when I realize that I'm redeemed, and I'm forgiven, and I'm in Christ, and I'm these things, then I just slowly begin to change all the things that I do. 
Because it starts with who I am, and that's what the most important thing is that happens when God gives you a new name. Lastly is this, and this might, this might be the best part of all, is that a new name is given to us in heaven. This is, this is awesome. Check this out. Revelation chapter 2. John is writing. He says, whoever hears these hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give him some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, what a fascinating thought that you get a new name in heaven. And me and my wife were talking about this, like, why? What's, what's... And, and the significance is this. You have to remember that John was writing to a certain people in a certain time who understood things maybe differently than we did because I don't understand why it needs to be on a white stone. But see, in their day, in a Roman court, if you were to go on trial and be accused of something, if you were acquitted, you were given a white stone. And if you were condemned, you were given a black stone. And so John's playing on this idea that, hey, I want you to know that in heaven, you get the white stone. You're acquitted. You're forgiven. You're justified, which means literally it's just as if it never happened. You have been acquitted. Not only that, but like, in, so, so in, their, in their Olympic type games, I want you to know this, like whenever you would win in their games back then in that day and age, is you would get a white stone with your name written on it. Like, this is the imagery that John's playing on, is that, no, 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 not, not only you're acquitted, but you're victorious in Christ. And then last, I just want to give you the idea, like, whenever you get adopted into a new family, you take on their name. And what really is going on here is this, is that you have been adopted into the family of God, and God wants to give you a new name. Like, this is the, this is the wonder of who God is, is that God does not leave you the same way that he found you. Is that God is able to change you from the inside out so you don't have to be who you've always been and you don't have to be who they said you were. You can be who he said that you are. And when you begin to take on that new name and that new identity and you begin to live like you're redeemed and you begin to live like you're forgiven and you begin to live like you're an overcomer, I'm telling you, everything is different. All because the million dollar question drops and goes, no, 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 what's your name? I want you to think about that. Who are you when you think about you? What comes to your mind when we talk about who you are? What is it that other people have claimed that you are? What is it that other people have said about you? And are you living out of that? Because that's what Jacob did. He just determined, I guess I am just always going to be shady. I'm always going to be a deceiver and a manipulator. And some of you live the same way. I, you know what? I, I've heard these types of confessions. Well, you know what? I, I grew up broke and I'm just always going to be broke. I grew up this way. I, I've always been angry. I'm just, I'm too old to change. This is the way I've always been. And you just feel stuck. And I'm telling you that God wants to set you free. But it all begins with this one question. What's your name? Because as long as you keep believing the lie that you are what you did, or you are what you, what you were back then, or you are what they said you were, you will always live kind of less than less than God's best for your life. And I'm telling you that God wants you to overcome. Last story, and I'll close here. There's this, there's this story, and, and it's a story about Alexander the Great. So whenever you hear a story about Alexander the Great, you're like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it sounds really cool. Because he lived so long ago, and it, it, this is pre-Jesus, and the, the, the documents on his life aren't, aren't the best, but there's this fascinating story that I read about Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, if you don't know, he was an incredible military leader. If you know world history and, and how the, 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 the Persian Empire was conquered by the Greeks and why that all happened, and, and Alexander the Great was this incredible Greek warrior in general and his father before him. And so literally, I mean, he's in his 20s and he's conquered the world. 
I think there was one story about how he cried because he's like, there's nobody else left to conquer. I mean, just an incredible military leader and war hero and on and on, just incredible. And he has this moment in his life where they bring him one of his soldiers. So one of the captains has found a, a basic soldier who has fallen asleep on his post. Now, again, their armies didn't work as kindly as our armies do. You know what I'm talking about? Like in their day, when you were to do something, they would just kill you. Does that make sense? Like very ruthless, very mean, very like in the Roman Empire just years later, like, like if you were ever to show cowardice on the battlefield, they would literally take you, put you in a circle, and then make all of your, your in essence, your fellow soldiers beat you to death. I mean, this is the type of cruelty that they would, they would show. So, so again, this is the type of thing that was punishable by death if you fell asleep on your post. And so the captain brings this young soldier before Alexander the Great, takes him to his tent, throws him to the ground, tells Alexander the Great what he had done. So Alexander pulls his sword out and he says these same words. It's fascinating. He says, young man, what is your name? And the kid replies back, I'm sure with a quivering voice, my name too is Alexander. And Alexander the Great takes his sword, puts it back into his sheath and he says these words. He said, son, either change your name or change your character. What Alexander the Great was saying was this, is you've got a great name. Go live it up. And I want you to know that you've been given a great name because you are the child of God. You are an heir of God. You are the redeemed. Are you hearing me? You've been given a new name in Christ Jesus, and I want you to go live up to that name. I want you to go live from that name, not what they said you were, not what you thought you were in your past, not based on your past mistakes and past flaws and past judgments and past errors. I don't want you to live from that. I want you to live from what God has promised over your life. Let's pray this morning. So today, it's, it's time to have a little moment where we come to Jesus here. Because some of you, it's time to confess and let that thing go. It's time to own it and stop blaming everybody else and stop justifying and making dumb excuses. And at some point, we, we just need to own it and say, God, this is where I've been and this is what I've been doing, but I don't want to be that anymore. And I don't want to be like my past. And so God, I just want to confess, God, I need your help. This is who I am. Would you please help me? Would you please change me? Let's take some of our issues and stop sugarcoating them. Let's stop renaming them so they sound just a little bit prettier and a little less harsh. Let's stop doing that. Let's just own it. Let's get brutally honest with God. Say, God, this is what I've been doing. This is, this is who I've been, but I don't want to be that anymore. If you're in here today and you say, Todd, that's me, it's time. For some of you, you just need to heal and move on. For some of you, you have to ask this question, is there some baggage associated with that name of yours? Do you keep carrying your past mistakes and past wounds? Is there, is there, is there a bad reputation attached to that name that you have? Because you can let it go. The ultimate question is this. Are you living from one of your old names instead of living from the name that God has given you? You are the redeemed. You are the forgiven. You are the blessed. You are the child of God. You are the heir of God. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You are an overcomer. And I want you to go and live from that name. So Father, today, God, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would, God, challenge us, tear us apart from the inside out, remake us new again, God. Do what it is that you have to do in us, God. But help us to draw closer to you and become everything that you've called us to be, God. Help us to walk out of this place different than the way that we walked in, God. 
God, help us to claim and receive that new name that you've given us, God. And we thank you above all for the new name we will one day receive in heaven, God. We thank you that there will be a day where all things will be made new and all things will be made right, God. And so, God, we thank you for the new name that is waiting for us in heaven, God. God, as we leave this place, God, let it stir within our heart and within our mind, God. Change us from the inside out, Lord God. Help us to never quit and to never give up. Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.